Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm joined by author Patricia Friedberg. Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. It's really exciting that you have a new book out. It's called Letters from Wanky. Patricia, what's this book all about? This book is about when I was a very young woman in England, where I was born. I come from London, as you can probably tell. (laughs) And I married a South African, and we left for Africa the day after we got married. And I was all of 19, 20 years old. And we went to Johannesburg, where the apartheid was in full force. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be part of it. And my husband, who was a cardiologist, a doctor, but also of general medicine, got a position in a place called Wanky, which is in the middle of nowhere in Rhodesia, what was then southern Rhodesia. It is now Zimbabwe. And it's about 50 miles from Victoria Falls, and it's on the edge of a game reserve. And when we were there, it was, to say the least, primitive, mostly tribal. And because of the mines, it had small European, European by that I mean white population, who dealt with the mining side of it. My husband was very busy as a doctor, and I was a bit confused about where I was. Um, We were given two mud huts to live in. Wow. Remember, I'd come from London, (laughs) and I didn't know what to do with myself. Anyway, I took a walk one day, and you have to remember that being on the edge of a big game reserve, you know, there was often game floating around, too. Mm. And then the fellow came along in a jeep, and he said, were you the doctor's wife? And I said, yes. He said to me, can you type? And I said, yes. And he said, there's a job for you at the Native Commissioner's office, and be there Monday morning. And that's how it all began. And I must have written home three or four times a week to my parents. And what was in these letters was what was going on at the Native Commissioner's office, which was very tribal, and I was the only girl there. They were all young men from good families in England. I think they were like the aristocrats. They didn't know what to do with them, so they sent them to the colonies. Uh, They were a great bunch of people, and I learned a tremendous amount about Africa, which most born South Africans or reducers could never have known because it was tribal. And I was there for two years and made close friends with the native commissioners, with the husband. I mean, it was just a remarkable job. But coming to the now, I mean, I I haven't thought about it for years. I hadn't. And then when my mother died in London, I came across, I would say, about three or four hundred letters. And they all spoke about what was going on in my life in Wanky. 
Oh, wow. And I was traveling with my agent because we were dealing with one of my books that I'd written before that called 21 Orchid. And then we brought these letters home back to the United States where I was now living and went started to go through the letters. And the memories all came back. And my, my agent said to me, you know, you've got a book here. And I said, I think you're right. <laughs> and that's how the book came about. Hmm. I stood outside who that person was in that book and realized what a wonderful experience it was and how much history was in it and how much truth was in it. And how much the colonials, who always have a terribly bad name, especially the British, have done or did do at that time, or mm. tribal Africans who had in medicine, in, in agriculture, in every part of their life. And I became, at a very young age, I mean, that's where I learned the facts of life. That's, I mean, you just have to read the book to believe it. Mm. And it doesn't happen anymore. So it's history. It's geography, and it's true. This is titled Letters from Wanky. It's written by Patricia Friedberg, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing, and you can get it everywhere. Get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, or also at your traditional brick-and-mortar store. Patricia, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for telling me all about your work. It's my pleasure, and I just want to let you know that not one word of those letters is untrue. It's a mm. pure factual account of what happens when Europeans help tribal Africans, not hinder. I think that is very important. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Patricia. Thank you. Joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Gail Louise Dempsey and her husband, Jack Romans. Gail, Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Corey. There's a new book out that Gail wrote called Day 7, and this is all about Jack and his story. So, uh, first of all, Gail, can you give me a little taste for what this book's all about? Absolutely. This book follows our main character in the book named Victor who experiences going through chemotherapy and hits his low white blood cell count, the nadir, and then receives a drug to bring his white blood cell count back up to normal. What kinds of readers, Gail, were you reaching out to with this book? Well, I would say this book would really benefit people of all ages who are going through chemotherapy and their families. I also know that the oncology nurses and doctors have really found it very interesting as well. Hmm. And the title, Day 7, that refers to that point that you were talking about when the white blood cell production is at its lowest. That's exactly right. Did this take you a long time to write, Gail? This had to be a little bit of a difficult thing to tell, being that Jack went through so much. You're right. We spent a lot of time together in the hospital, and I think just all of the conversations with the nurses and the doctors and thinking about all the different technical terms, this concept that he was going off to visit his nadir just popped into my mind. And then that was kind of the beginning of it. And Jack, what was your take on this about being the subject of this book and having your story told? I was fine with it. The story, you know, was verbalized to everybody we can talk with. It was kind of a weird 
an unusual way they found the cancer. And like Gail said, you know, we spent a lot of time in the hospital because each treatment was, was five days long. So wow. there was a lot of time in, in, you know, the hospital room. Both of us were working, you know, on our computers at the time, but there was also just a lot of time to, you know, interact with the doctors, the nurses, the support staff. Gail has all of my blood work tracked. So she got very involved in the whole scientific part of it. Plus, you know, she's looking up coatings for pills that taste nasty when you're going through chemo and, you know, finding alternatives for that. So we actually, you know, educated that to some other people that were going, you know, taking the same pills. So, yeah, it's, it's not fun to be the subject of a book when you're, you know, you're going through it, but it's just another avenue to reach different people about the process. Tell me about that moment. What sparked the idea that you decided, hey, we need to sit down, write this story and tell it to everybody? Well, I would say just being together and like Jack said, you know, looking at all of the blood work and all of the scientific information about all the different drugs in chemotherapy itself. And just thinking through all of that, once the idea popped into my head, I drew it out with little stick figures and kind of made a little paper version of the book and then actually read it to some of the nurses and they just smiled at the right places and or laughed at the right places because there are, you know, about six puns hidden in the book. <laughs> so when we found that that brought joy to people around us, then that was really the inspiration. Hmm. Now, Gail, Jack, you got to tell me about the day you got the first copy of this book in and you both got to look at it and, and hold it for the first time. What was that day like? That was awesome. I just felt so proud and excited to share it with other people. You know, it was a real feeling of accomplishment. So that was my feeling. Yeah. After seeing the book and the, the stick figure form and then being involved with the whole process Gail went through, you know, when you pick, you know, you get a copyrighted and you pick a publisher and, you know, you go through artwork and edits and things like that just to see the book. And now been able to pay people back that were part of our support system and give the copies of the book. And it's really a cool thing to see it right in your hands and be able to hand it to somebody that was a part of our, our network and make them part of, you know, even a reward for the big part that they were a part of. Well, I know a lot of people are definitely going to be inspired and helped and comforted by this book. The title is Day 7. It's written by Gail Louise Dempsey and it's published by Fulton Books. You can grab it up everywhere. Go to Amazon or check out Barnes & Noble or iTunes or even Google Play. Traditional brick-and-mortar stores, you'll find it everywhere. Gail, Jack, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling me about your story and all about this book. I had a really nice time tonight. Thank you, Corey. It was delightful. This is a book that says it's going to bring the child out of even the adults. It's called Once Upon a Kimono. The author is Bruce Wallace, and Bruce is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We get to talk all about this book. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Corey. It's really exciting. Once Upon a Kimono. Now, this is a children's book, right? Yes, sir. It, it, it's a children's book, but everyone's going to, I pre-test my books before I actually send them to the publisher. So the kids love this story. Mm. I was even shocked, even the boys. <laughs> so what's the story that you're telling here, Bruce? The story is about a kimono designer. Her name's Hannah, and they get the deliveries from outside sources. And the guy's name that makes the delivery, now they both started the same day, 
and the guy makes the delivery, his name is Akihiko. And if you don't know how to pronounce the names, you can Google them. And I always tell her, just Google them. And if not, just use any name. I can't use regular common names. And what it's about, it's about Hana designed a kimono for the empress's daughter, which was getting married. And Rin, which is the boss there, didn't like the idea that she was falling in love with the delivery man. And so when everyone went to lunch, she went in and she destroyed this kimono. But all of Hana's friends at the kimono shop pitched in and they fixed it. And, you know, I leave little things at the end that, you know, God says this and God says and just shows that God put you with friends, good friends, and this is what good friends should do, mm. especially with everything that's going on in this world right now. Mm, absolutely. That's a great message, Bruce. How did you come up with the idea for this? It was originally, now this is funny, uh, I get a lot of questions on how they should write a book and what they should write about, and I always tell people just take little notes. This, the title of this book was originally Chinese Fairy Tale because the kimono actually originated from China, and it was an undergarment is what it was. Huh. And I, do, I did research because I changed it to Japanese Fairy Tale because I have a lot of friends in Japan. And then I, I said, no, we had a, a little bit of an issue with the book, and so we changed the title to Once Upon a Kimono. And I said, see, this will fit. And I told people, if you're going to write a book, you have to understand, you're going to change the book. Don't take the first thing that you write. And I've been told, I said, boy, see, you've got a good imagination. And I have another book that's coming following this, and that's Preacher Croker. That's all about frogs. And someone says, where do you get this stuff? <laughs> and I says, I don't know. Well, you know, I, I also do music, and, and I think it's from that. Mm. My mom had a family member that wrote, I'm actually writing my first script, hmm. and I'm using Once Upon a Kimono because I love to write. I mean, my wife go, oh, would you? I'm writing. Shh, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. You said you were a musician, and now you're a writer. And I think if you're a creative type of person, it manifests itself a lot of different ways. And music and writing are just two of those ways. But what comes in handy is I was also in music publishing. And music publishing and book publishing coincide. Mm. They're a lot alike. Don't get frustrated. And that's why I tell everybody, never get frustrated, never give up. We just signed a 19-year-old Japanese artist, and she can sing English and Japanese too. And I said, no, she's not getting away from us. And <laughs> she asked me, I want to write a book. And I said, okay. Let's do your music first, and then we'll talk about working the book. And my publisher, I went to them, and I kind of looked at the different publishers, and that's what I give everyone advice to do. Mm. Look to see what they offer. If they're not going to offer you anything that's really going to help you sell the book, I'm fortunate that Christian Faith has done a lot of that with me. They actually will go through the book. I've worked with other publishing companies. They don't do anything. They just take the book and, yep, okay, works up to printed. They don't check for mistakes. Mm. They go through everything with you. Well, I think this is a book that a lot of people are going to love, children, adults. So go check this out. It's titled Once Upon a Kimono. It's written by Bruce Wallace, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Get it on Amazon, get it at Barnes & Noble or iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Bruce, what a great time I had having you on the show tonight and talking about your work. I hope we get to talk again sometime. Okay, Corey, thank you so much for having me. This is a book for those who have experienced some form of trauma. It's titled, 
and you shall be free. It's written by Deanna Langworthy, and Deanna is right here with me at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We get to talk all about this book. Deanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This book, and you shall be free. Deanna, can you tell me what readers will find here? Yes, it's actually a little bit different format than most would have because it's it's a combination. So in other words, the first half of every chapter has like my thoughts and beliefs that I've found going through the process of being released from trauma. And then the last half of every chapter is actually my personal story. So it's kind of a hybrid between, you know, an autobiography and a self-help book. Mm. That's fantastic. You're using the challenges that you've faced to help others. What gave you the idea to sit down and start writing this one? I would be what you would call a reluctant writer. So in <laughs> other words, I never had that desire to, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. That, that wasn't me. Actually, I felt that God was prompting me to do it, and I didn't really want to do it with my first book. But then the second book kind of was the second half of the story to the first book. Mm. So I kind of knew at the, when I wrapped up my first book that there would have to be a second book. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and before you wrote that first one, Deanna, what's your writing background look like? You said you never imagined that you would be a writer. Had you ever dabbled in it? I mean, I always, you know, obviously, I think everybody has to dabble in it a little bit as they go mm. through school, right? When you go through high school and college, that type of thing. And and I always did well in that area. And I would, you know, sometimes write something for like a family member, a poem or something like that. But no, otherwise, no background, no classes in journalism, no <laughs> being on any publications. So what you've written about here, it's very sensitive. It's a very personal thing to you. I could have imagined that it was maybe difficult on some level to write. How long did this take you? It took me about two years. The book is, like you had indicated, it's about breaking free from trauma, but I really take it in a level that trauma can happen in a variety of ways, where as a society, we like to pinpoint trauma as what I call the biggies, you know, mm. somebody you knew was murdered or you were raped or, you know, there was molestation or, you know what I mean, those mm. great big topics. But trauma can also be caused from bullying. Trauma can be caused from, you know, having a great job that had you financial stable and losing it. And now your finances are in a shamble or maybe through nothing even of your own, you find yourself homeless. Like there's a lot of things that can cause trauma. And if it's not kind of one of the biggies, our society many times kind of takes the motive, you know, uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get on with it, you know. And so then we don't deal with it. And then we have all these other little issues that pop up in all areas in our life because we have this unresolved thing that we just keep pushing further down. So this being your second book, Deanna, have you given any thought to maybe a third? Actually, I have. Wonderful. <laughs> I think one of the things that we deal with in our society is we don't like to deal with things, right? We don't right. like to, as a society, have the hard conversation or it's just so much easier to keep things on the positive note, you know, just like our social media posts are all filtered and, mm. you know, they're the best things. People put pictures of their best meal and not the one they burned, you know? <laughs> and, exactly. And so I find myself in a role having just gone through and losing both my mom, who was my best friend, and also my best friend, not by blood, in a period of 13 months. Oh, my. I'm and sorry. I really have learned a lot about grief during that time. and. Again, I think that's probably 
I haven't started it yet, but I'm really feeling like that's probably going to be the area that my next book will be in. And again, it's all around, you know, like talking about the topic in a matter that isn't socially acceptable. Mm. There's a lot of books about a lot of these topics I've referenced, but most of them are very much on a manner that's, you know, the socially acceptable way of talking about the topic and not to get in the nitty gritty of the real life part of it. Well, if you're listening to the show right now and your life is in limbo because of some unresolved trauma, then definitely check this book out. It's titled, And You Shall Be Free. It's written by Deanna Langworthy. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can grab it up everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Deanna, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling me about this really important book. I hope we get to talk again soon. Oh, I do, too. Thank you so much for your time. Spirit Realm. That's the name of the new book, In Stores Now, written by Cynthia Allen Thomas. And I'm so happy we're going to talk all about this book because the author, Cindy, is sitting right here with me now. Cindy, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. It's so exciting when you get a book out there. So the spirit realm. Cindy, can you tell me about it? Yes. This book tells the big picture story from creation to Pentecost in a way that I hope will open up people's minds to the spirit realm of our existence. Hmm. I worked to follow the historical scriptural path that unfolds this drama of the ages in the story of the fight for the salvation of humanity and how it might look from the spirit realm. And it's told from the point of view of the Archangel Michael. Cindy, what kinds of readers do you think would be really into this? Well, I hope it's going to be the middle school, high school audience. That's who I had in mind when I wrote it. In fact, I had a little middle school, high school focus group that I ran things by as I went through the book that ages into the Marvel comic action stuff. And it's my hope that the fictional action and drama captures their imagination and draws them into the factual story of Jesus. It has a little bit of a sci-fi feel to it, of course, when you're talking from the point of view of the angels and the demons and how it might have looked to watch the Jesus drama of life from that point of view. Mm. I have been told, however, that people in their 70s and 80s have read the book and they really like it too. So that blesses me. I I think it might appeal to more than the audience I wrote it for because I did try to write it from a very scripturally sound point of view, even within that fictional sci-fi flavor. So how did you come about the idea for writing this? What gave you the inspiration, Cindy? Well, I saw a need in that our young people do not really know who Jesus is and don't understand the relevance of the Bible, especially the Old Testament stories. Mm. And so I wanted to tell a story that kept scriptural integrity intact while capturing that young mind audience. And so it was the need that I was looking for that I wanted to kind of write concerning. Hmm. And when it comes to writing and publishing, things like that, Cindy, have you ever done anything like it before? No, nothing. This is my first time. I had no idea what I was doing. The learning curve was straight up. It took me about two years to write it. 
the level of research that went into it was just incredible. And to research and get it so that it has integrity from a biblical perspective and a historical perspective was a lot of work. I had people helping me. I had someone with a, a master's degree in Bible and religion helping me do some research and keep the theology sound. And no, I didn't have any idea what I was doing, and I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> When we went through the, the publishing process took another year, and it was one of the most befuddling experiences I've ever been through. It's just like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, no, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning as I go. Would you do it again, Cindy, and think about writing another? Well, I had never thought about writing a book at all, but I have set myself up at the end of this book to do a sequel, and I have begun kicking it around in my head. I think a lot of people are going to love this book. You ought to go check it out right now. The title is Spirit Realm. It's written by Cynthia Allen Thomas. It's published by Covenant Books, and you can get it everywhere. So get on Amazon or go to Barnes & Noble, get on iTunes, or walk down the street at your traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll find this book there. Cindy, it's been wonderful having you on the show here. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Another learning experience. <laughs> what if our animal friends thought and acted more like we humans do? Well, that's what's in this next book we're going to talk all about here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. The title is Quirky, a humorous peek at our animal friends and ourselves. It's written by Tim Harshman, and Tim is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to chat all about the book. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me tonight. Well, thanks for calling. Tim, I love what this book has in it. Can you tell me all about Quirky? Well, on the back of the book is the incident that caused me to come up with this name or word for the book. I was walking in our metro park one day, and I looked over to my left, and there was a big buck looking straight at me. Mm. So instead of probably screaming and running, I thought to myself, does he know it's Tuesday? And then some other weird things popped in my head was, does he go on vacations? Is he thinking of retirement? And so the idea of animals thinking like we humans, someone acting like we humans, that's how it came about. So once I got home, I got out a notebook and I started writing down ideas, and it just kind of blossomed from there. But it's taken a good three years, so it didn't happen overnight. <laughs> My wife and I went through moving twice. The uh, notebook got put away, and every once in a while it would pop up, and I would start writing again. So the last time it popped up, I said, I'm going to do it. So this is how it, it came about. Hmm. And I understand there are 114 stories in here. Well, 14 are cartoons, and the other 100 are, I don't know if you call them stories. That makes it sound like it's like a lot of words, but there are longer stories and shorter stories. Can I give you an example? Absolutely. Okay, so one of the quirkies is, how can you tell when a snake is about to strike? Now, most of us would think the snake is going to bite you. But the answer is, you have to look closely to see if it's carrying a union picket sign. <laughs> I love it. So that's a little bit different. <laughs> I 
Tim, did you have a certain group of readers, people in mind, who you think would really enjoy this book the most? Well, it's really aimed at animal lovers. Hmm. In fact, the very last quirky is about, can I read that one to you? Absolutely. All right. If dogs could go ocean cruising like we humans do, then maybe there could be a TV show about their adventures. What would the show possibly be called? Answer, The Unconditional Love Boat. I love it. There's a lot of food for thought there. Yes. And, Corey, I put that last because I wanted the reader to leave the book with an idea that there's too much craziness going on in our country right now. Mm. And maybe this can help slow some of that down. That's why I put it there. Well, this sounds like it's a really great book, Tim. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing and publishing? Well, I have published two other books self-published, not through a publishing company, but they were two books of puns that one was in 2010, I believe, and the other one 2011. I've done something similar, but not like this. I can tell you have a love of language and you have a love of playing with words and things with similar meanings to draw out some pretty funny things. So here's another one I'd like to read to you. Who was the daughter of the commercial fisherman that discovered a herring-like fish could be eaten as a relish or a pizza topping? And the answer, anchovy. Anchovy. I kind of look for things like that. There's another one. You can imagine what this one is, but the answer is Rick Shaw. (laughs) I can only imagine. Well, Tim, I know a lot of people are really going to enjoy this book. I encourage my listeners to go check it out right now. It's titled Quirky, a humorous peek at our animal friends and ourselves. It's written by Tim Harshman and is published by Newman Springs Publishing. And you can get it anywhere, of course, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Tim, it's been wonderful having you on the show and learning all about your work. I hope we get to talk again soon sometime. Okay. Well, thanks for calling. The next book that we'll be talking about here on the Reader House Author Roundtable says that if there is ever a time when we need to read, study, and obey the Word of God, it's now. The book is called 2 Timothy, an exegetical analysis and exposition. I'm really happy Dr. Paula Sewell, the author, is right here with me now, and we get to talk all about the book. Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Second Timothy. Now, what kinds of readers do you think would really be into what you're talking about here? My target readers are believers in Christ who wish to deepen their understanding of God's Word and grow in their faith. I especially target this group because persons reading this book has to be a serious Bible student who wants to learn more mm-hmm. about the Word of God. I would like the audience to be one that wants to rightfully divide the word of truth and get to understand it in such a way that it brings life to them and it will be able to propel them through the difficulties of life. Mm. A lot of people have talked about 2 Timothy and have drawn a lot out of it. Paula, what's your take on it? I especially like 2 Timothy because Paul the Apostle, who was the master apostle, I would say, mentored Timothy 
and passed on the word of God to him in such a way that Timothy became a bishop. Timothy worked relentlessly and Timothy took the word to the next generation. And here we are today reading Second Timothy. It's become a favorite book of most people because there is a line that Paul talked about that we are in perilous times. He prophetically declared this many thousands of years ago, and his prophetic utterances have come to pass. And so people can relate to Second Timothy because, number one, Timothy was a young person. He was a young pastor. And during those times, the young persons were not revered as the older persons. And so for Paul to select Timothy to be a pastor and to give him the word to pass on says, quite a lot about young Timothy. There is also a passage of scripture that when Paul talked to Timothy to say, do not let anyone despise your youth. And so it speaks to the youth, it speaks to a young generation, and it also speaks to an older generation. And so Second Timothy has become a favorite of most of us because we can relate to it in various forms. Indeed. Yes. How long did it take you to write this, Paula? You know, getting into Scripture, it can be pretty involved. It is. My love for the Word grew for over the years. And because I had so many challenges in my life, I sought for answers. And I found that I got answers from the Bible. And while I was doing my dissertation, my professor said, why not select a book and do a commentary on the book? And Some years ago, I had asked myself a question. Why are people so belligerent? Why are people so angry and have these negative attitudes? Mm. And I read 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I found out that in the last days, these 19 vices were going to come upon people, and they were going to be angry and lack of love for God and love of money and pleasures, and be ungrateful and unthankful. And I thought, wow, this is the book that I would like to study and write about. And so, as my professor told about writing a commentary as part of our dissertation, I thought, okay, I think I'm going to write about Second Timothy because of those things that he talked about that would come upon us in the last days, and with people having those negative attitudes. I took my time. I prayerfully did it, I researched, and I made sure it was theologically sound. Well, Second Timothy is definitely a book that's relevant today, and this book will take you deeper. It's titled, Second Timothy, An Exegetical Analysis and Exposition. This is written by Dr. Paula Sewell, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Check it out on Amazon, check it out at Barnes & Noble, or on iTunes, or traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you go to buy your books. Paula, it's been so wonderful having you on the show today. I hope we get to do this again sometime. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Bye now. This is quite an amazing story that's told in this book. It's titled, No Chemo, Stage 4, Exit Right, The Sharon Hour Testimony. And it's written by Sharon K. Hour, and she's right here with me on the show right now, and we're going to talk all about this book. Sharon, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you, Corey. Thank you for having me. Like I said, Sharon, this book tells a truly amazing story. Can you tell me what readers will find here? The story that I have is my testimony of what God let me go through, a trial, 
I had got diagnosed seven years ago with stage four CLL. They wanted me to go on chemo. And I told the doctor, thank you, but no thank you. When God's ready to take me home, he'll take me home. And that's how I left it. I never went back. I was on my own with God, my faith and trusting God for my healing. I eat right. I was doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I was going the holistic way with my faith and trusting God. Sharon, what inspired you to sit down and start writing this story and then publishing it? I went to the hospital. I had a blister on my head and it just got worse. And I told my daughter and my husband that I thought that this was all the cancer coming out of my system. And that's how I felt like it was releasing all the cancer. I I did not shed a tear over what I was going through. And I'm very vain, so I didn't want anybody to ever look at me unless I had my face done, my makeup on, my hair done. And this was a big thing for me to write the book because my daughter took pictures of me daily for nine days, what I look like. And if you saw what I look like in the book, you would not even believe it was me. But I had to share that to help people know that there is a God that heals today and forever. And I trusted God for my healing. And I'm so thankful today, Corey, that I did. Wow. I'm thankful as well, Sharon. Was it primarily the ones who are dealing with cancer, cancer patients and their loved ones that you were writing for here? Well, my late husband chose to go on chemo, which I refused when I was with him. I found out I had stage four when we were married, and I refused chemo. He took it. And Corey, that was the worst death I've ever seen anybody. I took care of him. And once he started treatments, he just went downhill. They called hospice in at the end. And I told him, there's no way. When God's ready to take me, I'm on quality, not quantity of life. And that's how I left it with that. And I thank God today that I'm doing so well. Sharon, how long did it take you to write this book and then put it through all those publishing processes? Altogether, Corey, it took two years. It took me one year to go from looking like a monster to where my doctor is so amazed at me. She says, Sherry, you have been, you're my role model. She said, I believe in what your faith is and what God has done for you. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Wow. Yeah, that's what happened. I can only imagine that moment you got the first copy of your book in, Sharon. You got to hold this and look at this thing. What was that moment like for you? Well, Corey, I thank God, number one, that it happened. When God has his hands in your life and it runs smooth, that's God. From the time I submitted the story to the publishers and they hand took it and it just went so smooth, I said, I thank God every day for it. I did not want to share the pictures, Corey. I will tell you, I had a hard time for over a year to share the pictures because I didn't want anybody to look at me the way I looked. Mm. I mean, I lost all the skin on my forehead, blisters all over my face, my back, my arms. It was terrible. And those are all pictures that are in the book of what I look like. And anybody that knows me would look at the book and say, this does not look like you. And it wasn't. But now it's almost like God gave me a new face, new skin, and I praise him for that. Sharon, if somebody came to you and said, hey, I want to get started writing and publishing, do you have any advice that you would give them? The only advice I would tell anybody is what I told myself, that if you have something to share with somebody that's going to bless them and help them in whatever they're going through, that's a blessing that you could share with other people. Because I'm a firm believer that if you go through something, that you've got something to share, that's going to help many people, only if you've gone through it yourself. A lot of people are going to be helped and blessed by this story. I encourage my listeners to definitely check this book out. The title is 
No Chemo, Stage 4, Exit Right, The Sharon Hour Testimony. It's written by Sharon K. Hour and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this book everywhere. You can find it on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble or on iTunes and also at your traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Sharon, thank you so much, first of all, for having the courage to tell your story to the world and also for coming on the show and telling me all about it. Thank you, Corey. Immigrants to Americans, Evolution of a Family. This is a book that just hit stores written by John Draxler. And John is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to talk all about this book. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This new book, Immigrants to Americans, this tells a really important story to you. Can you tell me about it? Well, it's the story of my family immigrating to America in the early part of the 20th century. So it talks about their story. They were both in the coal mining industry. They lived in what was called the coal patch. They weren't wealthy. And their growth from that stage to now where they, the children were educated, they lived the American dream. Mm -hmm. They became successful. And they had kids. And then my generation came along. You know, I'm just sort of tracking the generations and some of the stories that I got, some of the things they had to go through. People don't realize how hard it was. And now the second part of the book is going forward. Where do we see ourselves going? Do we have the appreciation of the struggle that they had, of the things they had to go through, and the dedication to the country? I'm not sure we do. Mm. John, is it history buffs that you were primarily writing for here? Well, not necessarily. I mean, history, yes. But there's a lot of opinion that's where we go from here. Mm. And also, just the idea of what an immigrant family in that part of the country, in western Pennsylvania, coal fields, what they went through, mm. how they lived. It's history, yes, but it's also a story of the family. And you know, growing from, like I said, uneducated, my father had to quit school before he even got to eighth grade because his father died in a coal mining accident. He had to be the head of the household, things he had to do. Wow. And then he, you know, he served in the war. All, the, all that generation served in World War II. My mother, grandmother Draxler, her husband died. I said, and then Gennardi family. It's a very interesting story because my grandfather, Gennardi, got hurt in a mining accident, went back to the recuperate, met and married my grandmother in like six weeks and brought her back to the United States. And she didn't see her parents or family again until 1957. Wow. So different world. John, what sparked the idea to write this? What gave you the idea to sit down and go through all this history and, and write about it? Well, the idea came from my mom, basically. I mean, she's 97. She's the last of what we call the Ubers, the, the generation started our family reunions. Mm. She's the last one left. And I just started talking to her one day about the old days. And, and she has a remarkable memory. I mean, it's starting to go a little bit now, but she had remarkable stories of them growing up in the patch, as it was called, and the things they had to go through in her, you know, growing up, going through World War II, all that stuff. Just something that fascinated me. So I started thinking, I'll do this for the family. But then I started thinking about where, where did we go from here? I mean, where it was sort of the typical immigrant story. I think it's kind of remarkable in that they were so successful. And the family stuck together. And I have a whole section in the book about our family reunions, which I think are remarkable because we had 67 straight family reunions every year. Wow. Until COVID came along. And then going forward, I mean, 
my generation, there's divorce in the families. My grandparents didn't divorce. They no no divorces in, in ten marriages between the two families and the five kids. There were no divorces. Wow. And it wasn't like it was easy. I mean, they had their issues, but it was a different mindset. And we had the next generation, my generation, very few of us got divorced. And in the next the following generation, well, not so much. I mean, you know, marriage is it's sort of typical. Right. Marriage as an institution does not get treated the same. So, and where do we go from here? What do the trends say? And that's very troubling to me, but also very interesting to see where I think it's going to go. And that's the, that's the second half of the book. It's not always history. It's about the country in general. Mm, that's important. Well, I think a lot of people are going to be into this book. It's titled Immigrants to Americans, Evolution of a Family. It's written by John Draxler and it's published by Covenant Books. And you can pick it up anywhere, of course, like Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or also down the street at your local bookshop. Now, John, it's been great talking to you today about your book and about your family's legacy. I hope we get to talk again sometime. I hope so, too. Maybe with the next book. I thank you. Book two of the Supernova trilogy is out. It's titled Evil Temptations. This is written by Kathy Kite. And I'm really happy that we get to talk all about this book right now. Kathy is right here with me. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. This is really exciting. It's super exciting when you get a book published and it hits store shelves. So first of all, can you tell me all about this trilogy and then specifically about book two, Evil Temptations? Sure. This trilogy is about a young girl named Abigail Gates who is born with a condition, and for her own safety, her mom kind of keeps her secluded, thinking that she's helping her, but in fact, she's kind of hindering her. Her whole education is, you know, homeschooled and her own personal library, and so she decides that she wants to make friends, and she defies her mother and sneaks out of the house and is ridiculed by the children, and at that point, she realizes she's different, mm. so she goes back into seclusion, and that's where she pretty much stays until, you know, up until that point, she believed that life was all fairy tales and everything had happy endings. Then her mom passes away and she's forced to be part of a world that she's a total stranger to. And this is kind of her story. Supernova 2 actually picks up where one leaves off. So it's more of her adult life and the trials and tribulations of being married and, you know, just the whole bang, if you will, of adulthood. Mm -hmm. What kinds of readers, Kathy, do you think would be most into this? Oh, I think everyone from 16 to 60, male or female, I've had all the above read it. I've gotten really good reviews from both men and women of all ages. I try to have a little bit of something for everyone. It's got some masculine storylines in it. It deals with some real life issues, both in the female world and in the male world, in the real world. I try to make it as realistic as I possibly can so that both you and I, it doesn't matter you know, who you are, where you're from, whether you're different, you're the same. Everyone kind of gets a little bit of a taste of Abigail and Abigail's story and all the different characters that play in and out of the world. So when it comes to the plot and how this is all developing, Kathy, how'd you come up with this idea? Well, oddly enough, I had a dream about it way back when, in like 2006, I was talking to a really good friend of mine on MySpace, if you will, that long ago. Oh, wow. We shared poetry and short stories and things back and forth. And I was telling him about this crazy dream I had. And he's like, you should totally write that 
And that's how the whole idea came to be. And it's just kind of grown. I mean, I started it. It was just something kind of for me, kind of a therapeutic getaway because, you know, I've always been kind of a storyteller and my dad was that way. You know, Mm. my dad, he was always telling stories. So I grew up with kind of that storytelling mentality, if you will. And once I shared with him that dream, he's like, you have to write this. So I, (laughs) so we day and my kids were playing and I sat down to the computer and boom, Supernova was born. Mm. So before the first one, had you ever written or published anything? I never. I had written short stories. I have a couple things published, but they were like in the Stevens College books, you know, like on campus, that kind of thing. Nothing to this, you know, statue anyway. Yeah, these are two novels you've done. How, how long do these take you? Well, all together, since it's been about 16 years, I've, they've been in making. And I just finished the third one. It's in queue waiting to go to the publishers. You said this was born from a dream that you had, but I'm sure there was a little bit of yourself that you wrote into it, maybe a little bit that you pulled from your own experiences. Would that be right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, to an extent, it's more like fantasy type. You know, we all sit and we watch movies and we think, man, I wish I was that girl or that guy or Mm. man, I wish I could drive that car that fast or, you know, there's a certain amount of stuff that I think plays into our dreams that help bring out that passion or that curiosity, if you will, but to bring something that you you dream to life and have it like almost breathe air almost. When I hold my book in my hand, it's like I'm, again, holding a baby. It's like it's breathing air. And then to have other people read it and go, wow, this is really, really good. You're like, yeah, you know. (laughs) The title of this is Supernova 2, Evil Temptations. It's written by Kathy Kite. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing. And you can find it everywhere. Go to Amazon or go to Barnes & Noble, go to iTunes or even down the street at your local bookshop and you'll find it there. Kathy, it's been really great talking with you tonight. Thank you so much for telling me all about Supernova, this trilogy. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. And I just want to say thank you to the Reader House Roundtable. It's been a great help as well. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 